Hello, listeners, and thanks once again for tuning in to 177 Nations of Tasmania podcast. Now, Tasmania and Denmark have had a few connections over the years, not least that we have a Tasmanian girl as the crown princess of Denmark. And perhaps it's a coincidence, uh, but perhaps it's also part of the reason why there was a notable increase in the number of Danes living in Tasmania in the last census. Denmark, of course, has one of the highest standards of living in the world, and so it takes some pretty strong reasons for a Dane to come and settle on the other side of the world here in Tasmania. In Lisbeth's case, it was about meeting someone special towards the end of a two-year working holiday around Australia. Now, more than a decade later, she's living happily in Huonville with husband Adam and their two kids, both of whom are learning Danish. Like every good story, Lisbeth has its fair share of happy and sad moments as she shares her experiences of travelling Australia, settling in the beautiful Huon Valley and the challenges of living so far away from family. So I was born in Denmark, just north of, well, I was born south of Copenhagen, but I we only lived there for a few years, then we moved north of Copenhagen, so I grew up there um, in a little country town and just had a normal life. Denmark is quite small uh, compared to Australia, so um, everybody kind of lives in short distance to each other, so we'd always have these massive family gatherings at, you know, Easter and Christmas and birthday parties because there'd be lots, you know, having a big family, you you know, somebody turns 30 or 40 and then we're like 40 people or something like that, you know, these big gatherings. So um, it was very, very lovely. And do you have any particularly strong memories of any of those occasions? Is there any particular occasion that stands out in your memory? I think Christmas is always a lovely time of year and in Denmark it's always something that we celebrate throughout December so we start beginning of December and then we always have like candles everywhere because it's like dark that time of year mm-hmm. and you go out every weekend and get together bake cookies for Christmas and sing songs and drink the um the hot wine you know the mm-hmm. uh, spiced wine like blue, um, blue vine yeah yeah, so it's like a celebration that is pretty much going throughout December until Christmas and then we celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, which is the 24th. So the whole family thing on Christmas Eve is that we get together and then there's usually like a particular order everything's happening in. You'd have dinner, which is um, usually pork roast, which is pretty normal for you know, when you think here in Australia we can have pork roast as well, but that's, you know, pork roast and you'll have duck and you'll have, you know, all these other lovely food like potatoes that are caramelised and like everything, just making an extra effort out of everything, you know. And then we, we eat the dinner and then afterwards uh, we'll dance around the Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. That's like a tradition. I, I don't think I've seen it anywhere else um, where we like walking around the Christmas tree. We call it dancing around the Christmas tree. There's more walking in a circle around the Christmas tree and singing Christmas carols. And then after that, we usually sit down and then all the kids get to open their presents one by one. And that can go for hours sometimes. And is it like, especially thinking about for, for children, is it a 
quite an outdoorsy culture like do people still spend time outdoors in winter yeah so because usually it's so cold you know the lakes freeze over and if there is snow then you know they can play in the snow and build snowmans and stuff like that and they'll go ice skating and yeah so it is very outdoorish even though it's cold and dark because I think I, I remember talking to um, a lady from Finland who was just saying it's quite it's quite normal for kids to go out into the, the cold and go to school when it's minus ten or oh whatever. yeah we we would go to school I'd be riding my bike everywhere so that's probably one big thing is that you know everywhere you go you just ride your bike because the infrastructure is so good in Denmark like there is particular bike lanes and tracks and stuff like that that doesn't go along the road where there is cars so um, I'd have to ride my bike to school by myself every day from I think from year one compared here in Tasmania they have to catch the bus and you know that's different but if it's been snowing and it's icy it's still I still have to ride my bike. What was school like in Denmark like what, what, what are your also memories of that experience? It was good, I would say. It's very similar to here in Australia, Tasmania. Like you go to kindergarten through to year 10 or, and then there's like an upper secondary school that you can go to if that's what I did. But um, you have the normal classes, like I guess here in, in Australia you have English, but in Denmark it's called Danish. And then, you know, history and geography and sports and art classes and then from year four I think we learned that's when we started learning other languages mm-hmm. um, so you learn English is definitely there and then from year six you can choose to learn another language again and I decided German because you know we're right next to Germany I don't remember much of it though but mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess because you have to really speak it to remember yeah. And uh, was there anything at school that you particularly enjoyed or were good at, maybe? I always liked singing. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's probably one thing that I remember. Like, not that it really is a something that, you know, has brought me... Like, it's it's brought me lots of memories because throughout my life, I think I have always been happy singing. And when I went to Abba, um the Abba Secondary School... I was in a band and playing and singing in front of a big audience. So we'd have like a concert that we'd be having once a year, you know, at, uh-huh. at that school. So I'm wearing my dress and that because that's the year that I finished that school and then we'd have like a final concert. Looks like uh, they're wearing sailor caps. It's, well, this, this is a tradition in... Denmark that when you finish upper secondary you get a hat a bit like as when you finish university I guess uh-huh. you get a hat but this is like particularly for Denmark so and it just looks like a sailor hat I guess yeah. so it's called a student hat it just means that now you've graduated from okay from this from school so yeah and then we we drive around in this truck on the back afterwards from um, every student in the class we drive to their place and then the parents have prepared nibblies you know mm-hmm. and we'd be like all drinking beer and just you know it's probably not the best way to <laughs> <laughs> like but 
this is like we all get drunk and just you know have fun and okay. enjoy ourselves so yeah so it's pretty it's a pretty big thing then <laughs> yes and we'd be like singing and all that and everybody when you drive on the road people would be like hunking their horns and okay stuff like that so it's like yeah it's big you'd see these ones in july i think it is drive around and they'd be everywhere and you know they'd have music going at the back obviously you at the back of a truck and you're not you're just yeah. standing around so they have to drive very carefully you know because you're not yeah. seated with a seat belt and stuff like that so but it as you can see the truck is um dressed up with balloons and flowers So uh, my parents divorced when I was nine and then my mum moved to the other end of the country which is not really that far when you think about it because Denmark is very small so it would probably be similar to say my mum moved to the northwest you know and my dad was living in Hobart something like that and then yeah I've just been moving around a bit I guess because my mum was then we moved to Greenland after living in De, you know the other end of Denmark for a while so I actually stayed in Greenland for a couple of months because my mum is from Greenland and uh, she wanted to go back and see what it was like and if she was going to want to live there again mm. but then she decided to come back to Denmark after that so because that was just a uh, close to school holidays so I went back spent some time with my dad and then my mum came back to Denmark and then yeah so I have been moving quite a bit around Denmark but um, it's been good you know I've seen different parts of the country and because I guess you know we have in Denmark a bit of rivalry mm -hmm. in between certain cities parts of the country so Sealand which is the eastern bit usually have a rivalry with um, Jutland which is on the west you know because they speak a little they have a different dialect of mm -hmm. their you know how they speak danish and but it's been it's been a good experience i think and do you have any memory of greenland is that yeah. would be interesting oh yes absolutely so i went up there and then i actually was starting meant to start school so i went there a couple of times and i just remember where we lived because it was in nuke which is mm -hmm. um the capital of greenland um that i just loved there were like mountains and rocks and stuff, which was just so different to Denmark because Denmark is very flat. Yeah. Um, so it was a beautiful country. We just, we went sailing a few times and I remember seeing icebergs and I was just like fascinated with, wow, you know, <laughs> yeah, beautiful, mm. absolutely beautiful. So when you were at, maybe at school or just sort of that teen era, did you have any idea of sort of what you wanted to do with your life? I think I just enjoyed living in the moments. Thinking back, I, I don't, I think I had a difficult time working out what I wanted to do once I finished school. And never really, there was never really anything that uh, I felt, this is what I'm going to do. I liked singing obviously and I liked mathematics and I think that might be how I ended up uh, working as a bookkeeping you know I ended up doing some bookkeeping and administration jobs and then I just had some opportunities come my way and I was 
going to do an education in becoming a property manager because I thought, oh, that looks interesting. And then by that time, I was just coming out of a long relationship and I was just ready to experience some other things and see the world. And I had a friend who was in Sydney and then uh, she said, why don't you come over here and we can do some backpacking together? And I was like, okay, um, let's do that. And then that's that's how I ended up in the first place to coming to Australia. So you came came to Australia and what, what happened then? <laughs> well, I was going to travel around with my friend, uh, my childhood friend, but she uh, was only here for a couple of days and then um, she went back home and then I was in Sydney and I didn't know which way to go but I had already contacted uh, family in uh, northern Queensland about coming to work with them because I always wanted to experience the outback so I ended up traveling up to Bluff Downs which is a cattle station between Townsville and Childers Towers and I stayed there for four months as a Dillaroo. Mm, wow that's different. Yes, it was. I really enjoyed it. It's funny because, yeah, it was just so different than being working in an office and then mm. coming and doing something like that um, where you just in the elements and in the... And what, what were some of the things that you had to do in, as part of that? So I had to get up 6am every morning and go and make sure the calves were fed because some of the calves were either abandoned by their mothers or their mothers couldn't uh, feed them because their udders would sometimes they like they get too full and then they Mm -hmm. um, anyway they have problems with their udders some of them so I had to um, help we had some cows that would come in every morning and I would then let the calves into the cows and then they would have a drink and then it's so cute we'd like name all the calves you know I think one was named Elvis because it was like darker one and he looks like he had blue suede shoes or something but anyway we'd be driving around in a ute and I'd be like pushing off these 200 kilo blocks you know from the truck and that so I actually um got a nickname because of that Mm -hmm. um Celeste that I was working with he started calling me Mighty Mouse, <laughs> okay. um, because you know it was quite small, and then there I was like pushing off these big. And so that was four four months of doing yeah, that. Yeah, it was. It feels it felt so much longer though, I guess, because thinking back, I just have so many memories. And what what's your uh, maybe best or strongest memory of that time? I think just um, the connection that me and um, Celeste had, like we worked really well together, and. You know, she taught me so many things because I just come to Australia and I didn't really know how to speak properly. Like, you know, how I'm talking now is like very fluent English, but back then it was very word by word and I had to think a lot about what I was going to say then translate it in my head. And she'd be talking very fast and I'd be like looking at her with this blank face and she'd go, are you with me? And I'd go, um, and I wouldn't say anything. And then she'd go, okay, I'll just explain it again. And then she'd she'd say it again, and then I'd be, okay, yeah, now I I get it. Um, So just little things like that. She was really good, just, you know, support and, yeah, feeling that I belong somewhere, Mm. you know, outside of my 
where I come from. And so what did you do after that? Then I travelled around a bit again. So my dad actually came down with my stepmom and we travelled the East Coast together. So we started off in Brisbane. I picked them up. Well, picked them up. I travelled to Brisbane and then I we had a, a camper van. Then we drove up the East Coast all the way up to Cairns, which was a nice experience, you know, having to see a different country um, with my dad. And then they were going to go to Darwin and then I traveled that that was the first time I went to Tasmania okay. so not not the time that I was staying but then I came to to Tasmania and I did a bit of traveling here and went to ended up doing Great Ocean Road after that going to Kangaroo Island ended up in Adelaide working for BHP for five months because then I had my second year of working holiday visa and then I needed to earn a bit of money to do some traveling um so I stayed there for five months and then I traveled in the beginning of 2009 to Tasmania and that's where I met Adam and what took you to Tasmania actually what prompted you to go come here I just wanted to come back because I really enjoyed it the Mm. first time I was here and I just felt that I wasn't finished there was something here and I hadn't even met Adam then but um so there must have been something about Tasmania that just really drew me here so and then I met Adam actually not many days after I arrived because I like to I take photographs of everything I throughout my travels and that I have so many photographs of things where places I've been so that's how I got introduced to Adam because he is a videographer and then I was going to help him out with a few things I think and then one thing turned into another thing and yeah we got married so how did you meet actually was it was it you introduced by uh, through a friend yeah. yeah so um I was backpacking obviously and he was he had connections with the backpacker because he was he used to work with adventure tours I think it was called so through that um we met each other and then it was just at a regular Aussie barbecue mm-hmm. kind of thing. And how did it get to the, uh, the point where you got married? Because you said it was, <laughs> it was six months between meeting and... and yeah, marriage. so that is not really long, is it? It's all relative, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, so, yeah, we fell madly in love, I guess. Just we were working together, um, doing a few things, and then... My visa was going to run out and we were talking about if I was going to go back, how were we going to, you know, what was going to happen then. And then Adam was just like, well, let's just get married. Mm-hmm. And the funny story is when I left Denmark in 2007, the last thing my dad said to me was, don't, get, don't go and get married. And then so I, I told Adam this. I said, this is actually what my dad said. And he said, oh, I better give him a... A ring then so he, he actually rang him <laughs> and he said g'day Carlo and my dad was like oh hello <laughs> and then uh, Adam would say I'm gonna marry your daughter <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah my dad obviously was I guess he was shocked but he was just like oh really <laughs> oh that's fantastic I think he was you know um leaning into the um possibility that yeah I must have met someone very special and do you remember how you like when he suggested it how what went through your head at that time did did you just suddenly think oh that yeah that makes that actually makes sense or was it did you have to process it 
No, I think we were just so madly in love that we just felt this is the right thing for mm. us. That connection was just so strong and I couldn't really imagine going back home and then not being with Adam. So Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, would you say it was a fairly easy decision in the end? It was. You didn't have to think a long time about it? Not at all. So we ended up uh, getting married at Peppermint Bay, very small wedding because we didn't have enough money to have like a big party. But also we wanted to travel back and have our honeymoon in Denmark so that Adam could finally meet my family. And which was a good idea because my dad then organised a small gathering kind of wedding on a wooden boat. Mm-hmm. When we came back, it was summer in Denmark. And on this big boat, wooden boat, where the captain, you can almost imagine like he's dressed up as Captain Haddock from <laughs> Tintin, you know, like he's very captainy. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. And then he, because we have a big tradition in Denmark of when you're getting married, the groom gets his socks, the tips of his socks cut off. And okay. his tie. So because it was summer and Adam was wearing thongs and T-shirt and all that, <laughs> my dad <laughs> had gone out of his way to get socks and a tie. So And then they just put it on him and then they <laughs> they cut the socks and the tie. <laughs> it's kind of, um, I think it's kind of a signal of, you know, now you're cutting ties with the old. So uh, after you got married and started settling down, in, I guess you started settling down in Tasmania, what, what happened there? Well, uh, Adam and I bought a house here in Huonville and then we lived here for a few years before we decided to, to have children. So now we have two boys, Oscar mm-hmm. and Jack. So, and it's actually interesting because I decided to travel back to Denmark when I was pregnant with Oscar and give birth to him there, I think, the main reason was I wanted to be close to my mum, mm-hmm. um, being a big new thing happening, you know, becoming a mum and and all that. So that was good. Um, Travelled over there, gave birth to, and Adam actually came over for the birth. Uh, so he, I travelled over earlier uh, because you you can't travel too close to your due date. You mm-hmm. know, there's yeah. certain rules about that. So. And then Oscar was christened because that's a uh, tradition that we have in Denmark. He was christened before we travelled back home. So my dad, he actually came here to Tasmania when Oscar, after Oscar was born and he got to experience this beautiful island with us. We went a few places down to Ida Bay Railway and we went to Mona, you know, and around in Hobart and stuff. So that was really lovely, you know, that he got to experience where I live. But then after Jack was born, uh, not long after that, he um, he got really ill with cancer and we weren't too sure how long he had. So I decided to travel over there um, to have Christmas with him and I took Jack with me. He was only a baby and because that's a special time of year for us i just wanted to to have one more time with him yeah 
and you mentioned that that, that your sister was also, also had um, pre- sort of prepared something for Christmas. Yeah, so lucky my my sister had arranged this family get together, um, family Christmas at her house with my mum and my dad uh, there, which was really good because um, since my mum and dad divorced, they hadn't really been in contact. So it was great to have them there together and just being as a family, you know, like my brother, my sister and my parents. And we we also have to spend New Year with him? Yeah, so I think that was... He, he then travelled back because he lived in another area of the country and then so, but I, I spent some time after New Year's with him as well, so, yeah. And then how long before he passed away after that? So in September that year, um, that following year, I got a phone call from my sister where she said to me that this is it and I guess, you know, it's always difficult um, like we kind of expected it, but then getting the phone call, it's kind of a shock, you know, it's so I, but I just threw everything I had and then booked a flight and um, traveled over there the following day as fast as I could because I wanted to make it, you know, want to make sure that I made it. Yeah. And so you did make it in time. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So luckily, um, so he was put into this uh, ward on a like an elder's home where they have people that are dying, and um, I got to see him, and I just remember seeing him, and then just feeling, wow, this is um, this might be the last. Well, this will be the last while that I see him, and it was just heartbreaking. Mm. But lucky, um, my sister and my brother and I were able to stay in the room next to him and spend the last days with him because he was still able to talk and, you know, he's very stubborn, so he would, like, still eat soup and still ask the staff to get out of his bed to sit up and even though it wasn't really good for him. But I remember one afternoon and me and my sister were standing next to his bed and he was sitting up and he could look out the window and we were talking to him and then all of a sudden he's like pointing to the window and we both me and my sister like looked out and there's this massive red full moon just coming Mm. up of the horizon and i just remember that magical moment the three of us just looking at this moon Mm. I think um, in particular because of that full moon every time it's a full moon I always think of my dad (laughs) How much of the your own Danish heritage and culture have you tried to pass on to your kids and, 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 and are they connected to that or interested in that? At, yes. least, at least so far. Mm-hmm. So um, it was very difficult at the start to 
keep speaking English or keep speaking Danish, sorry. I was speaking Danish before they started talking and all that. But then once they started talking, they'd reply back in English and then I'd reply back in English. And then if Adam walked into the room, I'd say it in English because then he understood what I was saying because Adam hasn't learned Danish. But so that has been difficult. But every Sunday, my boys does a Danish class mm-hmm. on Zoom with lady who's based in Denmark. They have like, so that Jack, he's only eight. He's doing like 20 minutes uh, because, you know, the concentration bit is. <laughs> and then Oscar does like 45 minutes. And um, so they're learning how to speak Danish. And I think that's the one thing that I felt was important to mm-hmm. me, learning the language, keeping that. And Oscar showing um, great interest in Denmark so over at his school whenever they have to do a project of something he likes to talk about Denmark and he researches things and looks up like you know we've got Hans Christian Andersen who's you know the author we've got Lego we've got the little mermaid um, yeah. the statue that we've got Princess Mary so I wasn't sure if, if they were wanting to do it but luckily yeah they have they're happy to do it and um, it just happens that the teacher that they're having is very engaging with them so mm-hmm. very lucky there and I guess that's a real bet that will be a, a benefit for them later maybe later in life with relatives talk, communicating with relatives in Denmark yeah even though I'm sure the relatives can speak English it's still a little bit of a barrier isn't it a little bit I would say um, not so much for the younger ones so like uh, my niece and nephew and but more so for my mum like when she comes over she does know how to say things but sometimes she will say a sentence and then every second word will be Danish you mm-hmm. know and then so people will be like looking at her not knowing what she's meaning what she means and stuff but it's just not I think it's, it's nice isn't it for, for older people to, to hear their grandkids speak in their native tongue would be would be something special it i is, think yeah it is she's enjoying it when she sees them on zoom or f- we do facetime you know in what ways have you do you maintain um contact and connection with with denmark and your family there mm. yeah so once a week i facetime with my mum and then it's just you know a regular thing that we do um, we talk about what we've been up to and it's just like, you know, I guess when you talk to people and they're like, might be talking to their parents that are living interstate, I guess it's a bit similar, you know, you get on the phone, you talk to them, you know, once a week and catch up. But where we, we're doing more like FaceTime, I guess, because it's just nice to look at each other and, um, yeah, and stay connected, yeah. So my mum was here last time in 2019 mm-hmm. and she just, she travelled back home just before the pandemic hit. She just, she made it home and then I think it was a couple of weeks after that and everything was in lockdown. Yeah. So um, that was kind of lucky, you know, that she didn't get stuck here. Like, I mean, it would have been nice to have her, but for so long would have probably been a bit of a challenge, you know. So currently I'm studying psychology because I decided 
a few years ago, not, not a few years ago, I decided quite some time ago now, that after having Jack and doing a bit of office work, that I wanted to do something different. So I actually started uh, pursuing a Bachelor of Education because I felt I wanted to become a teacher because I was doing volunteering in my son's, at my son's school. And then um, I thought, oh, this is fun. You know, I'm having fun. Uh, maybe I can become a teacher and be that person that makes a difference for students. So I started doing a Bachelor of Education and then halfway through the pandemic hit and um, I had a unit that was looking at the psychology of education and I felt, oh, this is actually more interesting and also because I had to homeschool my children, I was feeling a bit, I'm not too sure this is what I want to do Mm -hmm. Um, and standing in front of a big group of children, maybe I just want to be working one-on-one with people. So I decided to change from Bachelor of Education to uh, Bachelor of Arts, a majoring in psychology. Uh, what what stage are you now with that? So I'm in my last semester, so okay. yeah, not far to go now. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to do with the psychology or, or an area that appeals to you? So I think I'm just, um, the more I have studied, the more I realise that mental health is an area that is very passionate to me so it will be in that area in that space somewhere tell us about where we where you have settled because maybe some people will not be familiar with um Huonville and what kind of place it is oh Huonville is so beautiful and lush and just a really nice valley town um we just love it here we can walk everywhere we you know want to go down to the cafe there's a really nice community at the local cafe you walk in grab a coffee um have a chat with people that you know from around here so it's just so nice yeah so is it quite a connected sort of community around here well i feel that you know it is for me, like you connect with, with people and um, we're very close with our neighbours too. Um, funny story, uh, last year we had to do this massive renovation on our house and um, the builders found this flood underneath our house which then ended up in an insurance kind of thing and we had to move out of the house so that they could repair it and we didn't know where to go. But then our neighbours, Pete and Karen, were saying oh well we are actually traveling around australia in our camper van how about you just stay at our house for a while and we were like really (laughs) i mean you don't get that every day do you wow that was like i'm just so grateful so we stayed there for like three months until they came back and then um we had to travel from airbnb to airbnb for another three months so I got to see a bit of the valley because we couldn't just go anywhere because our boys go to school down in Signet. So we yeah. had to try and stay close. So I guess because um, I'm studying psychology and I feel very passionate about mental health, um, there is... Um, 
the Suicide Prevention Day coming up next weekend. So I've organised a nine-kilometre walk, uh, just walking up uh, the top of the scenic hill here in Huonville. Um, so nine kilometres is one kilometre for every person that um, dies to suicide each day in Australia. I just felt this is a way that I can create that awareness in the community because I feel passionate about it. So, yeah, I think it's important that we, you know, are able to to communicate about our mental health because uh, sometimes it becomes a bit of a taboo. You know, you can't talk about things like that. Or, yeah. Um, but I think it's important to, um, especially like... Coming to Australia as as from a different country, I think I've been through a few of those you know hurdles where you feel homesick and you like you got that culture shock they yeah. they talk about. You kind of experience a few emotions there, you know, thinking is this is this okay? Am I going to get out of this kind of thing? So yeah, I think it's just a thing that is important to talk about so that people know that it's it's not a bad thing to talk yeah. about it do you find and, I, and i'm asking this because other people have also mentioned it that people here are a bit less willing to um, share their more personal and deeper feelings than perhaps in europe yeah that's probably another thing that i find is very different so in denmark i feel that when i I'm not sure if that's because, you know, the people that I've been talking to have been like close friends and relatives and stuff like that. But it's more accepted that you talk about personal things Mm. that's going on in your life. We're here if I remember getting here and then people are asking, oh, how are you going? And then you start talking about how you are and people are just like looking at this weird look like I, I just wanted you to say, I'm good or something you know like yeah. I didn't really want to hear the whole story so that part has been a hurdle <laughs> but I have just come to accept that is how it is learning there are different boundaries in this country than in the in Denmark mm-hmm.